Thanks for joining us. We got Dr. Kahi and Meredith Monday. Chris, how are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on, Mike. No, thank you for being on at such a late hour. Stupid daylight savings. That <laughs> uh, is stupid. Stupid, stupid, stupid. Uh, at least it's your fault, not my fault. You know? <laughs> at least it's not my daylight savings that messed this up. But hey, okay. at least we can still get a little bit of time um, in on this one. Um, okay, cool. So, I um, I just had a chat with uh, Brandon Adams, and um, he uh, that will come out like tomorrow. Even though uh, by the time people hear this one, that'll be perfect because that'll be the, the next one. So it might be good to just follow up with a few ideas that were floating around on that um, 1689 Saturday that I did, um, and uh, just get a completely different perspective and see where you're at, and and um, and yeah, let's see where that goes. Uh, sound good? Okay. Cool. Sounds good to me. Um, all right, so look, I've got this um, um, this thing that I picked up somewhere along the line. I think I'm not going crazy on this, but uh, when I was talking to Brandon, I found myself thinking, okay, wait a minute, you know, have I have I missed a step or two, or was I was I kind of just absorbing this from Klein? And I just found myself thinking uh, through it afterwards. Um, typically, when I think of the various uh, covenants of Scripture. Um, so, you know, where do you want to start? You know, you got the Adamic covenant, you've got the one after that um, uh, with Abraham, you, you move forward from that and you, uh, what's after that one? The Mosaic and then you get to the Davidic and uh, and then you got the prophecies of the new covenant and so forth, right? Um, mm-hmm. And then you get the new covenant itself, of course. And um, I would tend to view those, um, I suppose I've used the expression exegetically, in that, you know, you look at them, there they are, you see them in Scripture, you know, even if the word's not, covenant is not used, they're still, you know, as in, in the garden, uh, they're still there by all, uh, int- for all intents and purposes. Um, and so, you know, you look at them, you see what they say, you deal with them as covenant entities unto themselves, as it were. And then really, I'm where I'm getting the covenant of grace idea from is less from an individual exegetical expression of any one temporal covenant or moment in uh, you know period in history, and more from a systematic theology, I suppose you could say, in that I am um, I'm, it's a theological construct of some sort. Um, in mm-hmm. that you're basically saying, well, in all of these exegetical expressions um, of of these various covenants, the Abrahamic, the Davidic, is what I'd call them, um, the New Covenant, they all unite the participants to Christ, you know, and, and it's, um, it's, there is one point to them all. Ultimately, they all were pointing to the same thing. They're all moving history in the same direction with a single focus. And, um, and so, um, you know, th- they are in that sense bound as one covenant, uh, a covenant. Well, we need a name for it. What name can we give to it? A covenant of grace. Um, and, you know, mm-hmm. it's not like I'm, lo- I'm finding the expression covenant of grace any you know, anywhere, it's not a, a particular historical manifestation of that, but it is, um, it's a, yeah, I mean, the best way I can think to describe it, it's a theological construct, so much like the Trinity, I suppose, in that you, you're seeing expressions, you know the Trinity is a real thing because it's being mentioned concretely, and yet you have to put it all together in some way in this doctrine of the Trinity. Uh, maybe that's not the best analogy, but it kind of hopefully brings over the point. Um, you know, so 
the you know so I think the covenant of grace is real is what I'm saying it's biblical it's mm-hmm. a, it's a real thing um, even though you might not find that expression in scripture and I don't think the covenant of grace is the Abrahamic covenant or it is the new covenant I feel like it, it it's something that in, uh, of a covenant that encompasses all of those things and you know if we had to then ask well you know. Uh, you know who are the parties, and um, you know who are the members of this covenant, and all that. We're you know we're able to answer all of those questions and come up with a very lucid understanding of the reality of a covenant that uh, stands over all of those things, and yet is is not um, necessarily reflected in any one of those temporal outworkings. So that's been my view. That's very much not um, well. It, it seemed almost to catch Brandon by surprise. In that he, um, well, he certainly heard of it. Well, I don't even know if he's heard of it, to be honest. But he seemed to be um, kind of confused by that. Um, you know, I'm not mm. trying to be mean or anything. I'm just mean, you know, in our conversation, he was like, I, I need clarity. I need clarity on what you mean by that. Have you heard of that before? Is that something that you... I certainly rec- uh, recognize that position. Uh, and, I mean, I would even see it as early as Genesis 3.15. Right, totally. And, Good point. Um, Good point, yeah. And... Uh, I agree that it is really a product of systematic theology. Um, I mean, yeah, I'm comfortable saying that. And yet, um, I think it's the New Testament author who seems to do the most systematic theology in his writing, where we uh, get the closest to a statement about this thing that we're calling the covenant of grace mm-hmm. and i'm seeing that in galatians chapter three um where paul talks about the promise okay um yeah. and i think that that word epangelia mm-hmm. um it, when he says that he's intending to convey what we, we mean when we say the covenant of grace okay yes uh, and you know that's that's really interesting because that's kind of uh, their whole deal is based on the reality of this promise being revealed. It, you know, they're saying, hey, we don't want to think of the covenant of grace being administered uh, right throughout the Old Testament um, uh, along with the new. But we want to see rather as the, the new covenant promise uh, being revealed through types and shadows all the way through the Old Testament. And, um, and, and what, if I understand you rightly, you're saying, well, that's, that idea is exactly what we're saying uh, is the covenant of grace anyway, right? Or, or did I get that wrong? Absolutely. Yeah, totally. Yeah, no. yeah, which is why, you know, I came away, and I haven't actually told Brandon this yet, or, or, or you know, but just obviously have a few uh, rumbling thoughts after a conversation, and it went on for a while, but just, just to, I think what I'm going to say f- from now on, if anyone asks me if I agree with 1689 federalism, I think I'm going to wage psychological warfare. I think I'm going to say... Uh, <laughs> Yes, I do. I agree with it 100%. And then the follow-up question, no doubt, will be, well, then why do you talk about an administration of the covenant of grace in the Old Testament? And then I'm going to say, because that's what they mean. <laughs> you know, because it's, it's, it's like they've just called it something else. It's just like, but it's exactly what is the idea anyway. Um, but maybe that takes us on to, but, you know, just before I go into this other uh, thing concerning what administration means, which might have been part of the hang-up, um, where, where I mean, you know, as I've just stated that view, is that, was that, is that fair, fair enough to say that that was Klein's view? Or, you know, where am I getting that from? 
Uh, I think it's the classic um, reformed view, and it certainly was Klein's view. Yeah. Okay. Now, again, one of the big uh, pushbacks on that being, well, at least from Brandon, and uh, it was kind of resonating, although I can't figure out exactly why, is he was saying, you know, um, but, you know, hearing you say that right now is actually super helpful to me because, because yeah, I, f- I feel like I was having a little moment where I was going mad in that, yeah, I mean, I've only been reading normal reform stuff. I haven't had my head in some weird sort of like, uh, you know, sector of reform theology for my whole life, you know? And so you pick it, you only read the stuff everyone else is reading. So where would I get such a crazy idea if I didn't get it from these uh, normal reform covenant theologians? Um, and, uh, but anyways, what, what he was saying was... Um, you know, you have the um, covenant of grace um, idea, the administration of that covenant, that overarching covenant of grace, uh, of grace, uh, as being administered in two parts: the old and the new. Or, you know, essentially, um, mm-hmm. and you know that being the classic reform view. But, but what he was gunning for is that they were actually saying they weren't simply saying that you had the exegetical covenants administering the covenant of grace. They were saying according to him, that it, it was the same essential covenant in two, like a, a one person wearing two different forms of clothing, um, as it were. You know, So he, he was wanting to actually identify the covenant of grace. It's almost like the name, the expression mosaic and Abrahamic was irrelevant in that they were all, you could put a big equal sign next to every one of those things and say that you could scratch out Abrahamic or Mosaic and just say covenant of grace every time. And and all that's happening is they just look different. They're wearing different clothes. Well, for a moment, it almost sounded like mono-covenantalism. Right, yeah, totally. It's almost um, like that that old school um, form of of john ball westminster presbyterianism where you you had it wasn't quite monocovenantalism necessarily but it was certainly in the mosaic period that they would see that as 100 percent the covenant of grace no quibble um no expression of law at all there um or at least and any you yeah. can get sorry I don't sorry go for it. yeah 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 go for it uh, I mean, you can find some theologians, too, who do too much um, flattening in the name of systematic theology. They're not as um, sensitive to the changes in administration and the texture of redemptive history right. as um, a biblical theologian would be. Yeah. But, um, I, I mean, I think the point that um, the best part of the Reformed tradition is wanting to to emphasize is that real human beings— who um, were fallen because of Adam, were really saved by Jesus Christ Mm -hmm. prior to the Incarnation. Mm -hmm. And that happened by by believing the promises, because they didn't have the substance of the promise yet. Yes. Um, But I think that that's what what Paul is all about. Totally. Is that um, people were really saved. Yeah, that's it exactly, and um, and maybe that does take us on to this um, this next question. I think maybe what because where we were getting caught up a lot of the discussion and and what you just said was very helpful. I think that's actually exactly exactly right. I mean, you do certainly see right throughout Reformed theology just some ridiculous flattening, and um, okay, fine, and, and that's not necessarily a Kleinian slash other Reformed theology distinction. That's just a yeah, just a, a lack of sensitivity, I think. Just a maybe an overemphasis on dogmatics without enough emphasis on 
you know, biblical theology or exegetical theology in general. And that's just part mm-hmm. of the worst part of the Reformed tradition. Um, and then you also have a monocovenantal problem that's seeped in and, and all of that, and, and they would certainly flatten things out. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, in, even even where you have people disagree with Klein or Escondido stuff, uh, you would still have... You would still have theologians that that distinguish, um, uh, or at least are, are are sensitive to what's going on in the text, and, and see that as being represented by an overarching covenant of grace, rather than uh, just just sort of you know just imposing the systematic category on without without any reference to its its context. Um, but then I think you know the the thing that he was getting tripped up on, because hearing you talk, like you you were just talking concerning Paul. And uh, the, the old, the old uh, Testament believers being actually saved through the promises. I mean, that's exactly what they're saying. It's just uh, the, the trip up happens when we when we talk about that as being an administration of the covenant of grace in the Old Testament. They want to say um, the covenant of grace, firstly, is, again, just coming back to our previous problem, equal to the new covenant and it's only the new covenant uh the new covenant is there's no overarching systematic category it's just the new covenant which you could also call the covenant of grace if you wanted to and and that new covenant or covenant of grace gets retroactively applied in history through the revelation of the uh, through the types and shadows at least um allowing old testament saints starting from adam um to be actually saved and united to Christ uh, through what would be accomplished in the new covenant. Um, and so, you know, I mean, like, okay, I'm like, well, that's kind of all I'm saying anyway, except I'm, that I call that administered. Um, and, mm-hmm. what, and the reason I get there is because I think of, let's say, for example, the administration of the, the Lord's Supper or whatever it is uh, that you want to sort of connect to this. But let's say, uh, that f- it might again, it might not be the perfect analogy in that you're slightly on a different category, but when we administer the table, you're allowing for an external vis- visible sign to be the means through which God would allow the person to access the spiritual presence of Christ and the reality um, and, 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 be, and, 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 be, and receive grace as a result. Um, and so, you know, in the very same way, you've got a guy like, I don't know, Abraham, let's say, uh, who, um, or, you know, we always talk about Abraham, but anyone else, you know, who, who sees the, um, who sees the type in the shadow, uh, there it is, there's the external visible something. And, uh, I think, I think Lee Irons once said this, which I thought was really helpful. And, and through the, uh, the, the husk. You know, of that type or shadow, are able to access the kernel of the of the promise, the substance of that promise, yes. and um, and and that's that's exactly what I mean by administer. Um, there's something a little bit more than simply having something revealed. Maybe this is this is what we got down to at the end of the conversation. Um, I, I think I'm I'm gunning for something a little bit more than just something revealed. I, I'm saying that through the thing given in its external typological shadow um it, it, it actually administers the grace it, it it sort of it it brings the substance through that type and shadow itself uh something along those lines i think is, is is what i'm going for how does that sit with you or what would you call what would you say we're talking about when we talk about the administration of the covenant of grace in the old testament well, first of all let me say uh, you are not going crazy okay um, brilliant. what i'm hearing you say is um, 
classic Reformed theology as as I've learned it. Hey, Amen. Um, and you went to Westminster, man. So <laughs> I did. That's good. You know, <laughs> I am a distance education guy. <laughs> So, so I will take that and put it in as a feather in my cap. There you go. Yeah. Uh, so I would see administered as uh, a legal term. And so uh-huh. um, I, I don't see how you can miss um, the covenant of grace being administered. I mean, maybe not formally um, or as elaborately in Genesis 3.15, but, I mean, if you can miss it in Genesis chapter 15, Hmm. um, something's wrong, I think. Yeah. Because God is ratifying a covenant that he's making with Abraham. Yeah. And Paul and James both appeal to Genesis chapter 15 um, to argue for our justification. Right. Totally. Yeah. So you're saying that through that ratification, what happened? So you mentioned a legal term or a legal yeah, expression now, administered. Yeah. I, I said that just to tie in with the covenant idea, because I certainly would not agree with the claim that um, only the new covenant is the covenant of grace. But um, let, let me say this and see if it's helpful or if mm-hmm. it can uh, lead in fruitful ways in our discussion. But uh Hebrews says that the blood of bulls and goats could not actually take away sin, and yet mm-hmm. that was enough for uh, believers under the old covenant before Christ had come to, as you said, mm-hmm. access the forgiveness that Christ's blood would in history eventually um, merit and mm-hmm. earn for them. Mm-hmm. So it's that it's that kernel and husk idea that mm. you were talking about. They were accessing the real forgiveness that comes from Christ's blood mm-hmm. under the form of the blood of bulls and goats, mm-hmm. which we call administer, right? Yes, that's absolutely. what that is. What it, whatever now, Christ's I, blood was administered to them through the blood of bulls and goats. Yeah. Now Brandon did say something interesting in that um, you know he was although he was clear that he was not representing necessarily everyone on this issue but i thought it was very relevant that he said um you know he hasn't quite bought into a sacramental understanding of you know even the administration of the lord's supper uh in quite the way perhaps kelvin would have and and you know we all uh they all drank from the rock um that is christ and 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 that idea that that even through that type and shadow there was the access of a of a, of a substance and um, and you know he he thought there was a misinterpretation and that just cast a long shadow over a lot of reform reform thinking but but I think it does kind of get to the bottom of it in that you um, you know we, we've got to call this thing that happens something and you know I think it maybe you know I, it's not enough just to say that um, God revealed and um, saved them. There's something going on with the actual means, um, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that's really at the end of the day all I'm arguing for. And I thought maybe it's just good to clarify that because, you know, it, to be as charitable as possible to Brandon as well. I mean, he, he just he's, he's a pretty analytical guy. And um, and he wants clarity. He doesn't. The whole reason he doesn't bought into the the kind of uh, real presence deal is, um, you know, it's a little too uh, mysterious, I suppose. And um, and so, you know, looking for that, searching for that clarity, that clearest possible thing. And so I don't think I would be saying any more or any less than than, than what we've just said there. And, and and I think I can't. I honestly don't 
you know, why on earth would you want to get rid of the word administer? It seems senseless. And and I suppose that comes into um, into some of the the historical issue in that they don't like the word administer because um, that does tap into some of that flattened out reform theology and the way that it was used there, apparently. And, you know, I get that. But for me, it's just like, well, just don't use it that way or just, you know, nuance, you know, like everything else in reform theology at all times. You know, let, let's just make sure we're using the word correctly or improving upon our use. Uh, but to, you know, I've just recently seen Scott Clark's um, smashing of 1689 federalism, um, you know, pretty much saying that they are abandoning um you know, reform thinking at the point at which they say the administration of the covenant of grace uh, is not taking place in the Old Testament. And um, I kind of see where he's coming from, um, because it's true in that you really just don't want to give that ground away. I mean, my goodness, this is this is the unity issue. And while it's yeah. true that perhaps we were never really part of the truly reformed team, at least we were good at hiding it with the use of the word administrate. Yeah? And, um, <laughs> and now we've just, you know, blown our cover. But the, the, the ironic part is that we mean the same thing, or at least, you know, it sounds like there's so little difference actually in terms of what they're saying in that, you know, if they're saying that through the type, you can access the substance, you know, maybe all I can think is that they just, you know, they they they, um, they just aren't quite comfortable with the use of, of that means idea, the means through which you would access the, the, the kernel. Yeah, it sounds like it, because... Uh, redemption doesn't happen solely by revelation. I mean, there yeah. are means involved too. Yes, yes. Uh, both um, the spoken word and, um, you know, usually something like what we would call a sacrament. Right, totally, yeah. Yeah, I'm seeing the definite identical uh, parallel there anyway. And, you know, I haven't really thought a lot about, you know, exactly what the implications are of making that analogy, but it just sort of came to mind as something uh, that I would sort of use every single Sunday. You know, we do the Lord's Supper every Sunday, and every Sunday I'm talking like that, you know, and mm-hmm. I'm thinking like that in the administration of the Lord's Supper. I mean, you know, uh, so it's just a very familiar concept, and it seems... And perhaps even subconsciously, I'd, I'd sort of put that on what was going on all the way through uh, in the various, um, well, you don't want to say sacraments, but, you know, covenantal administrations. <laughs> you know, that's really what it is. And, 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 you know, it takes various forms and whatnot. And I realize, you know, you got the, the, the particular signs and, and, um, and, uh, and you don't want to turn everything into, um, uh, give everything the same level of priority, but still, it's 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 a good idea or analogy anyway. So anyways, that's therapeutic to me, to hear you say. Um, good to know. It didn't go crazy. I, 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 you know, I chatted it through to my wife, I chatted it through to my brother, and they were like, no, no, that's good. I mean, you're, you're totally sounding good. And, um, and... Um, I thought, okay, good. You know, I felt like I felt like I was talking to a Lutheran, man. That's exactly what happens when I talk to a Lutheran. I, uh, <laughs> you know, I sort of second guess like like the basics, like you know, who is Jesus and what is the Trinity, because it's just sometimes our language just crosses over and doesn't really, you know, uh, do what well, it's it. Well, it sounds to do. like Candace was steering you right, so oh, definitely yeah, listen amen. to Candace. He who finds a wife finds a good thing, right? Amen. Um, okay, you've done a little looking into the, well, a little, you've done a lot of looking, uh, a lot, understatement, looking uh, into 17th century stuff. And um, the, he, one, of the, one of the things uh, that came up as well was that, um, 
when um, Irons, Lee Irons, was taken to trial for that whole debacle, um, they didn't like what he was teaching when he was sort of doing the Kleinian stuff. And I believe Fesco and um, uh, Gordon, was it, or so, so, someone else came to... Uh, T. David Gordon. Yeah, yeah right came to his aid and just sort of said, hey, wait a minute, this is just the 17th century subservient view. Um, mm -hmm. And so uh, one of the things that was coming up is that that wasn't exactly what Klein was teaching. Um, so it might be, a, you know, they, they actually differed uh, in, in a few ways from Klein or at least acknowledged that they were doing something quite different from the rest of Reformed theology, whereas Klein wasn't so clear. Uh, what do you think about that? I mean, you are the well, pro there, right? Certainly, the, yeah. <laughs> certainly, there were some differences between what the 17th century covenant theologians were saying about um, a subservient covenant and what Klein was saying about uh, the Mosaic covenant. But I, th I think that that's mostly just because um, theology develops over time, and you know, it's not fair to expect them to be saying exactly the same thing that. Um, someone in the 20th and 21st century was saying, but some of the differences would yeah. be um, maybe um, not as much of a focus on the, the eschatology that's involved. Yeah. I mean, I think certainly um, some of the best of the covenant theologians in the 17th century, and I'm thinking of someone like Owen, mm -hmm. would have definitely seen how seeing the Mosaic Covenant as a covenant of works that served the purpose, hence subservient, served mm -hmm. the purpose of the covenant of grace, was setting the stage for Christ to come and um, do his act of obedience, which could be imputed mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. believers. Mm. But um, but maybe not seeing that um, eschatological reality that's been present from Genesis 1-1, you know, and uh, continues to be present until uh, and into the consummation. There's that aspect. There's also um, Klein's development of the covenant of common grace. Yeah, yeah, true. Which I think is intimately tied in with what Klein sees going on with um, republication. Yes. And that really wasn't a category for... Right, but it, again, the, like you said, it's, it was a... It was a development, truly and properly. I mean, mm -hmm. they had providence, and and they, um, they 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 just didn't quite have all the handles yet. But it's not like something new necessarily, right? I, I don't think you could accuse um, either the 17th century folks of disagreeing with Klein or vice versa. Yeah, totally. I agree. Now, one of the things, just thinking about it now, uh, is he was saying that um, they would see, you know, he kind of likes the 17th century deal in that they would call the Mosaic Covenant very clearly a covenant of works. It's not a covenant of grace. And they wouldn't speak of the Mosaic uh, in any way as being an administration of the covenant of grace. Um, and I think what he wants to do with that is sort of, sort of use it and connect it to uh, the Abrahamic and then speak that whole way, the whole, of the whole sort of Old Testament kind of thing in, in that way. Um, mm -hmm. And, um, and, He's he was I think wait a minute I'm actually remembering now I think he quoted you or Todd or someone on on Glory Cloud um, as as talking about you know the the issue of republication and you know does that mean that um, the mosaic is in any way 
and administration of the covenant of grace. And as he was quoting it, I, I remember thinking, oh, yeah, I totally know what you guys are talking about. That's, um, that's uh, so I'll tell you now and you tell me if I was right. Um, it was something to do with you guys were talking about republication. It was really hard to get uh, kind of a handle on on the two different angles in that uh, at one level, you know, thinking about the subservience of the Mosaic Covenant and its republication. I mean, it's true, you know, that that is. 100% not a covenant of grace. It's it's a it's a covenant. Of, well, it's an echo of the covenant of works. Um, but it it is also true that because they ran together like train tracks or like the cake layer thing or you know any analogy you want to use, in some overarching sense, the mosaic subservience did fit into the greater administration of that period so as to point people to their need for the Abrahamic covenant. Uh, so in, in in some broad sense, and maybe Klein used that earlier on, I'm not sure what the reference was there, but um, certainly now, uh, as we look back on it, there, there could be, I, I wouldn't have a problem in saying that. I wouldn't have a problem in saying that that the as a subservient kind of component unique to that period, it was an administration of, uh, of the covenant of grace, but not as a direct administration of the covenant of grace, if, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I agree with that. Okay. Um, I would go back to Galatians chapter three and Romans chapter five mm-hmm. um, in Galatians three, Steve Baugh from Westminster Seminary, California pointed out to me when I was working on this passage that when Paul says the law in mm-hmm. um uh, well, at least chapter three of Galatians, mm-hmm. he's really sifting it out from, he's sifting the commands out from the rest of the stuff that God gave to Israel in that entire covenant administration. So that, yes, the law is a covenant of works, yeah. but that's sifted out from the priestly system and the sacrificial system yes. and all of that. And I think that's where you see the covenant of grace run through the Mosaic covenant yeah, right. is in the sacrificial system. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. You know, that, that would make sense, wouldn't it? It'd it just be, um, yeah. yeah, no, totally. I like that idea. And, and that's kind of how I had thought about it prior. So yeah, no, that's good. It sounds like we're, um, we're, we're running on the same and, page there. And uh, uh, if funny. I could real quick um, point out that in Galatians five, it's mm-hmm. either verse 20 or 21. Paul says that the law came in alongside. Yes. Um, yes. I forget what what word he uses that it came in alongside of, but yeah. I mean, there you get the parallel idea that um, the the promise of the the promise that existed before the law was given, mm-hmm. which would have been given to Abraham, was not annulled. Mm-hmm. It wasn't abrogated. Mm-hmm. It continued on. There's continuity going on there while yeah. the law is there and in force. Yeah, very helpful. Yeah, that's good. It's good to see that in the text like that. Excellent. Good. Um, well, yeah, I mean, look, hey, that, that's um, that's good stuff. And, you know, it's so interesting. I was talking to my brother this morning, and he was just saying, like, it's so funny, you know, the 1689 Federalist view and the Lane Tipton view, um, when he was debating Michael Horton, and it, it came down to what the Mosaic Covenant was all about and that sort of thing, and Galatians and, you know, what Paul was doing there. Um, 
you know, Galatians is the stickler. I mean, that is the thing. Like, you can't move past that. And it's funny because Tipton was, um, he was essentially kind of trying to argue in the other direction what what, what the, the Federalists uh, for, for the Baptist side are trying to do to get, um, you know, uh, to get rid of what, what, or to get around what Paul is saying there in that, uh, you know, both of them don't want to see that there was a covenant of grace prior to a covenant of works, as it were, you know. Um, they, they want to, um, either think of it all as a covenant of grace or all as a covenant of works. And they're both kind of very, very ironically meeting the same problem and, and floundering around. I don't know if you ever got to hear that um, that uh, that debate with Horton and Tipton. I did. Um, yeah. I'm heartbroken over Lane Tipton because he was uh, one of Klein's sharpest students. And oh, is I don't that know right? why I did he not went know off that. The... Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man, because exactly. he's sharp. I mean, there's no doubt about it. I mean, the guy is, mm-hmm. you know, he's together. And you could tell, you could tell, you know, he knew his Kleinian stuff, you know. But um, it just he was not convincing at any turn. I mean, that was the bottom line for me, you know. I mean, I went in yeah. thinking, well, here we go. You know, if if we got anyone that's going to be able to bring this out, you know, it's it's this guy. I'm, I'm all ears. What's going on? And uh, it was he was chasing his tail, even though he was the more yep. eloquent, so to speak, you know. Um, and he, he sort of felt like it felt like, you know, he was the karma and just, you know, more together of the two. He, he really I, he just I could not track with his argument. I didn't know what he was saying. Um, and I don't think he knew either, especially around Galatians. So uh, anyways, that's something. Oh, wow. So he was a Klein guy. Dang. And now it's just Gaffin gobbledygook. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, hey, so look, I mean, I, I, I messaged you a couple of questions I had around, um, man, I've, for anyone, I have mentioned uh, Jordan Cooper before. Uh, that was your uh, recommendation, Chris, um, just to check out some Lutheranism. And mm-hmm. um, mm, wow, Lutheran two kingdom theology. <laughs> that's like a whole nother thing. I, I'm just I'm. I'm uh, weary to get into this now because I realize it's late for you. So we'll come back at this um, tomorrow with some Two Kingdom Tuesday and Lutheran Two Kingdom stuff. Mm-hmm.